Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Sans Pants Radio, Australia's least coherent podcast network. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish, the show where we ask you what's your story and what does it say about you. I'm George Dimrellis and with me today I have Melbourne Comedy Festival Best Newcomer nominee and all-around great guy and fantastic comedian, Lewis Garnham. How are you doing, Lewis? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm no stress? I'm excited about this. You're excited? Yeah, I'm excited. That's a good start. I don't know, maybe it's the circles that I spend time in, but I don't get that much time to dissect books in my life. I've been thinking that I should join a book club <laughs> but i haven't got around to it so this is like this is great that's that's such a uh, corona talk yeah, <laughs> totally. yeah. quarantine talk yeah, yeah, yeah. who just like yeah but who really does nothing it? else going yeah. on <laughs> i should join a book club yeah. but i can't because it's you know i can't yeah, see exactly. people but once i can go out and drink then i'll join a book club, book club straight away <laughs> that's the first place i'm going yeah 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 no that's uh i like your ambition well that's the hard thing isn't it because when normal life resumes it it does just become like you work and then you drink and then you're hungover and then you work and you don't have time for book clubs. And it's I think it's a bit tragic, to be honest. That's what this whole corona thing has taught me. That, that your life is tragedy. <laughs> that everyone's everyone's life as cogs in this wheel is bullshit really yeah See, i, I feel like that's really feeding what you already thought <laughs> to totally yeah that yeah, doesn't yeah. sound like a new insight at nah, all that just sounds already, like you've i already thought all this. Yeah. but it's confirmed it for sure it's confirmed it yeah because we'll get into the books in a second but i'll just give you my philosophy on this is that like i just think it's ridiculous everyone's always like yolo you know fuck you only live once let's make the best of this life but then we we go nine to five at office jobs that we don't enjoy and then like an hour on the packed train in the morning first thing in the morning you're all bleary eyed no one's talking to each other you're just on your phones an hour at night and that's five days out of the seven like this sounds like i'm justifying my laziness but i'm really not i just think we shouldn't be doing that we shouldn't be living like that we should be you know, after this quarantine or whatever, we should adjust into a more like, you know, work a couple of days, do something you enjoy, you know, and and um have more time to talk about books. <laughs> I feel you really swung that around at the end to win over the exact audience of the podcast. <laughs> like, and for you guys, yeah. read more books like you, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, okay. But how did this prove that more? Because I feel... And I don't want to sound um, disrespectful to people who are really struggling with this um, pandemic because obviously, like, most people are. But I'm, like, privileged and lucky and I'm actually enjoying, you know, living on Centrelink. I've, my rent's not that expensive. I can afford it. And 
um, having time to just do what I want and write stand up and write other things and exercise and all these things. I've like loved it and it's like, you know, it's made me feel like, fuck, I should be living like this or not, maybe not exactly like this. I wouldn't mind working a little bit, but I should be more geared towards this lifestyle and everyone should have that opportunity, not just people like me who are privileged. Like, yeah, yeah. Everyone should have that. Everyone should do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a very short jump from yeah. there to like a dictatorship. Like, no, no. This is good for me. I'm everyone saying. should do no, this thing. everyone should have more freedom and their yeah, lives yeah. should be based more around um, human satisfaction and human need and not, not providing goods and services or, you know, whatever for – companies <laughs> really showing your uh, your colors here very yeah, early on i, I think and i think this actually does relate to your book choice as well weirdly it enough does, 100%. I, think, I think it does for sure um so let's go in the book choice and i'll tie it we'll see if we can let's bring it back it. let's use some ways yeah this is i've done a few of these now let's see if i can tie it back yeah. together but uh your book choice of today is one flew over the cuckoo's nest by ken casey ken casey okay did you say casey or casey uh, K-E-S-E-Y, Casey. It sounds like Casey, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Casey, yeah. Um, do you want to try and say why you think that relates to what I was just saying or do you want me to? Well, look, I think firstly, let's just get I a little... Because I agree, it does. It definitely does. It, but look, yeah. I, uh, firstly, One for the Cuckoo's Nest, it's, I didn't know that it was a book that was like, you know, that awesome. Because I've seen the movie, um, yeah. but I haven't read the book. Yeah, uh, right. I just thought, you know... You it's see, funny because I've never seen the movie. Really? Yeah. Okay. And it's just that classic thing of like I read the book when I was quite young and I've never wanted to – like the characters in the book, you know, you make your vision of them. Like they look a certain way in my head and like the, the main guy or one of the main guys, like he's played by Jack Nicholson and I've heard that Jack Nicholson like fucking destroys that role. Like he's so good in that film. Yeah, Jack but, Nicholson playing a crazy person. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> But he doesn't look like the guy that I have in my head. And I love that character so much. And the guy that I have in my head looks not like Jack Nicholson. And I just don't want to ever change that. Does that make sense? Do you have that with books? 100% it makes sense. I don't know. I think like, I was actually discussing with someone else a little while ago. But I'm like, I think the vibe of them is what more than anything. I don't really picture like what color their eyes are or the shape of their nose as much as like how I picture their how that comes together to make their vibe. Yeah. So when it's the different person cast, whatever, I can understand being like, that's just not at all the vibe I had of that person in my head. Totally. I mean, I think, yeah, it is the vibe, but maybe I'm more superficial than you because for me, like the way they look in my head does, it's like, it's very important. Right. Okay. I remember when I saw Harry Potter for the first time and I was like, Ron Weasley is meant to be tall and gangly and this guy, this kid's like pretty short. And then as they get older, like Ron becomes like kind of muscly, and like, you know, he looks like he goes to the gym, but he's not that tall. And I was like, this is bullshit. Like, <laughs> he's meant to be really tall and gangly. It's yeah, like yeah. a key aspect of him. You know what? I think I thought that and then I forgot that I thought that. Yeah. After <laughs> watching a few of the movies. <laughs> See? Well, there you go. See? It changes your... And I don't want to tarnish my view of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by watching the film. Even though it's meant to be a great film, apparently. Now, now, now I'm kind of agreeing with you about mm, it. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I've ruined Harry Potter for me forever. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, the okay. So, and then for a very brief summary, I guess, of the actual book, because again, I'll be basing this. I don't know how different the book and movie are, but uh, are we allowed to do spoilers? Oh, totally. This yeah. thing is, spoilers, uh, totally fine. Totally. Um, um, 
the book takes place mostly in like sort of like a mental asylum. The, it's from the point of view of a character called the Chief who is like the outsiders view him as sort of like a, a vegetable who, who doesn't really think or and he can't speak. I think that's right. He can't speak at all. I haven't read it for a few years, but yeah, he can't speak and um, everyone sort of writes him off as, you know, brain dead, I, I guess, for want of a better word. Anyway, the mental asylum where the book takes place, it's very sort of authoritarian and controlling. The patients are controlled quite a lot. Um, and then new guy, um, McMurphy, Jack Nicholson, comes in, <laughs> comes in and basically shakes everything up. He's like the agitator and he's like... I think the reason I love him so much, he reminds me of like in school. I think I did a bit of this, but I like looked up to kids who did this more. Like the ones that like um, just like sort of fuck with the whole process of school or the whole system of school. So like, you know, they, they like uh, and they're so clever at it. It's never like a dumb kid that is in this role, you know. It's, it's like it's kids that are really too smart to be at school. And they come in there and they're like, you know, making everyone laugh in the class and they sort of turn it into chaos and the teacher can't control them because they're so smart and so clever with the way that they disrupt the class. And also, they're lovable and and good teachers usually, I think, like end up liking those kids and forming good bonds with and them. And know how to channel them. Totally. Yeah, but if you're like a, if your teaching method was more like authoritarian or more like, this is my way, this is, then you'll just get fucking rolled by these kids because they'll outsmart you and they'll just throw the class into chaos and everyone gets behind them and that's sort of what happens in this book and he like you know gets this uprising going sort of thing within this place and then the chief the guy who everyone sort of writes off uh, ends up playing pivotal roles in that sort of uprising which is really beautiful and then there's lots of other stuff about like he's a native american the the chief um and there's lots of stuff about his background and the dispossession of his land, which I don't know if the film would go into that because that's sort of like that's just like a few extra chapters that get thrown in there. I yeah, no, the, the, film the film's doesn't. basically from Jack Nicholson's perspective. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, so that's interesting because the book, there's a whole big thing about Native Americans and and why he doesn't talk, the chief, because he, he, he's not he's not dumb or anything or his brain isn't actually damaged. He chooses not to talk because of trauma and it goes into how, what, what led All to right, that. Specific trauma for him. Specific trauma okay. of, you know, white people taking his land and killing his family when he was a little kid. And right. from that moment on, he didn't speak anymore. All um, right, okay. And then he ended up in this mental asylum. There's heaps of, yeah, there's heaps of really cool things in the book. And, I suppose the way that all that ties into what I was saying before, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's, but, it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the system. Yeah. It's like, basically it. Like, you know. So yeah. you, and which you read this in school. I think I read it when I was in school, but not for school. I think I read it when I was about 16, but just as a, you know, a nighttime read, not like as an assignment or anything. I would have loved to study this book, but we didn't do it in school. Of course not. <laughs> and you know why, brother? Bring down the system. <laughs> totally. They wouldn't want to show us this sort of shit in schools. Uh, I, I could just picture a young you saying that to people. You're like, they'll never teach us this. They won't show us. They won't show us. They won't, they'll hide it from the libraries. 
Uh, yeah, so passionate. Yeah. I'm just trying to start an anarchist group in school. Yeah. Uh, so I always find it interesting when people like pick a book from, do you read a lot or a decent amount, I guess? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, yeah uh, it's always interesting. People, pick I go it. through, I go through waves. Yeah, for sure. And I probably read more when I was younger. I've been reading a lot lately. I've been reading. Have you read The Wheel of Time? Yes. Well, yeah. I so okay. I was a massive fantasy sci-fi geek as a kid. That's yeah. all I read until yeah, I was like eighteen, right. nineteen, probably. Probably 18, 19, yeah, I actually spread out. Before that, it was exclusively basically sci-fi and fantasy. Wow. And Wheel of Time, I've read I reread those books because I was reading it when it was still coming out. Wow. I'm an old man. Wow. And so I because they were still coming out, I would reread them. So I think I've reread most of those books like four or five times. And each. you would have to because there are so many characters. So much like I'm reading them like straight. You know, I'm not having to wait for each book. I'm just banging them out, but I'm still having to go back to previous books and be like, "What happened? Like, who is this guy?" There's so many characters. Yeah, it's crazy. That's a, like, it's funny you say that because, like, for me, I'm talking like genuinely. I read those books. Would have read them now 16 years ago, and I reckon I could still probably pretty roughly say a lot of what happens wow. in each individual book wow. just because like that's amazing. I was waiting for the next one to come out so yeah, was, that was my yeah. book of, that, that's the most reread book I've probably got that wow. series funny thing is though never finished it really never finished it is that because the author changed for the last three books do, uh, do you know about that yeah, I know about that. Uh, no, it's not actually. So, what happened was because I was reading that and I was in a big fantasy push. Um, funnily enough, I was reading all this different fantasy stuff and then along came Game of Thrones. Of course. Which, when I read it, and the people who don't... I can get pedantic as fuck about this, basically. Mm. But it, it, for me, reading that for the first time was like the most mind-blowing experience ever because what George R. R. Martin did, which no one realizes he wasn't a huge fantasy nerd, is that he took all of these established tropes that... I didn't even know were what it was, and then he would twisted them. So he kept doing this stuff where you expect to go this like way, killing pivotal characters, killing pivotal, but example. even like just the structure and stuff. Like, oh, the right. little boy goes on the adventure, and then he would just like twist that. Sh- the, the first chapter of the book, it's like you've read it a million times, and then he just at the end of it, he has the kid fall off the edge and right. break his spine. Like that's never happened before. Yeah, like that's yeah. an intentional, that's an intentional subversion of a very common trope. So he just kept doing that's that. Very clever. So that that kind of lifted the scales of what I've been dealing with until with a lot of different fantasy books, including Wheel of Time. So after that I think that might have been one of the things that made me start looking outside at other stuff. Like yeah, that's- you, you realize like I mean that because that if I I love Wheel of Time and I'm so deeply invested oh, so in good. the world. Yeah. It's so it's so dense and so amazing. But if I did have a criticism, I've got a couple, but the main one would be that it's a bit tropey. And at times I'm reading it, I'm like this just sounds like Lord of the Rings or, you know, and a part of that for me is not, they don't, not enough key characters die. <laughs> yeah. Because I think I read a thing that the creator of The Wire, um, that TV show, he, he, he wrote this piece on, on creative writing. And one of the things he said that stuck out to me was like, you have to kill some characters that people love every now and then. Otherwise, people will lose interest because there's nothing, there's no stakes. You have to create stakes Otherwise, what's the point? And uh, yeah, that that sort of annoys me with Wheel of Time. It's like, wow, there's another huge battle and there's all these people dying, but I don't even know any of them. It's like, isn't that a bit convenient that none of the characters that I'm attached to are dying? Yeah, so that like that's exactly that's almost that's what George R. R. Martin kind of did. Like, as in, 
and I, I might be not know the full because I'm not as deep in the fantasy world because I was a kid, so I probably don't know the full detail of this. But from my head, and I've spoken to one, someone else about it, if you want to pick three books to show the evolution of fantasy over all this time, you could almost say Lord of the Rings that started it, where it almost ends that period with Wheel of Time as being very much of that tropey right. fantasy stuff. So it was like the end point of that, which right. doesn't mean it's bad, but it means it's very much of that of style. That. And then you had George R. R. Martin come in and just turn everything over, drag it kicking and screaming into the modern era and twist it all. So now there's you wouldn't read anything now which doesn't have main characters dying. You wouldn't read anything now which doesn't have like more dramatic totally. more stakes and feel like that. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it was like it was like an evolution of the whole fiction. That's that's why George R. R. Martin is so massive. Like that's why we'll of that's course. why Game of Thrones when people He's watch like- it and then what read the book and they're like, oh the book's kind of boring, I get mm. very upset. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, yeah totally. Yeah, so, of course, he's so big then. It's like when a musician takes a genre and flips it on its head. Like, they're always going to be um, huge, those musicians, because yeah, yeah, they've, they've like changed the game They've forever. changed the game forever. Yeah, forever. Yeah. Like, you know, so, now no, no one's going in expecting – like, even, even if it is one of those old school stories, now it's got to be done in a way where it's almost winking – not in an obvious way, but has to at least be aware that it's doing that. So. Totally. Like, which means it could be even more ridiculous or it could Mm -hmm. be like, but it's got to be a bit more than what- Self-aware. Yeah, than what it was before. Because like the guy who finished off the Wheel of Time, Uh Brandon Sanderson, Mm. I'd never read his stuff before, but I've just started on it. And he is outrageously good. Like his new series. Like The Magician? No, nah, that's Raymond E. Feist. Right. Also very good. Right. Uh, but now Brandon Sanderson, he's got a whole thing. He's got this this book series that he's writing. It's called The Stormlight Archive. I've read the first two books and I'm taking my time to read it because they're so good. <laughs> really? They're so entertaining to read from start to finish, but it's very much of that epic fantasy tradition, but it's completely different as well. It's it's crazy. So is it subverting the genre like R.R. Martin? Or- no, he's gone in like a weird direction with it. It's like it's, he's created a whole world that's completely different to anything else that exists, but it's still very much – it's got that element of high fantasy epicness mm-hmm. to it, but it's – yeah, it's really cool. Very, very cool. And the guy's a machine of writing. I've never seen anyone. He's the opposite of anyone. Like he's he's like the poster child of like – insane output like he yeah, writes like 50 yeah. it's like i follow him on twitter he's got like oh only a uh, hundred thousand words to go and then two days later he's like only twenty thousand words to go almost Whoa. done like he's just a machine so he brings out these huge books every two years he brings out another one and he's writing a whole bunch of short stories and stuff on the side he's just an you absolute know, machine you know who could take a leaf out of his book <laughs> george R. R. Martin. <laughs> yeah like because that i really want to read those books really want to read them but i actually don't if they're not going to finish. Yeah. Like, I, it's just going to frustrate me. And what's going on with that? Is he, like, overwhelmed by the pressure of what he's doing? He always took can't. forever, and he's just taking longer and longer. Yeah. Um, the thought was that with the most recent one that he came out, which is the most recent nine years ago, <laughs> yeah. that that was a sign that was going to start speeding up because basically everyone's re- – there's, 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 like – a long posts and blogs and websites devoted to how long he's taken to yeah, yeah and this yeah. is before the show yeah and then the show yeah. made a lot more people become aware of it this totally. is before the show was obsessed with how long he took yeah but the idea is that he wrote in a way where he actually didn't really know what direction he was going like he had a rough idea of where the story was going to go but he didn't like he had signposts that he was going to reach in his story. But uh-huh. then apart from that, he just went wherever he kind of felt the story developing yeah. and where the characters kind of naturally were heading. So that's why. So the idea was that he, because he does, writes like that, he's written half the book, half the series or more than half, but now he's gone to a point where, okay, he has to start tying things off. How can I do that in a satisfying way? Oh, so why he's taking so long right now is figuring out how to, 
close the story. So totally. the idea is that once he figures it out, it should be faster after yeah, that because yeah, it's not as long to out. figure out what to do next. But I like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not like shitting on the guy at all. I think that task of tying that stuff off when, like, when you've got all this pressure and the clock's ticking, and you know you're an old guy, <laughs> not to you know state the elephant in the room or whatever, but you're an old guy. The clock's ticking, um, and you want to tie it up. It, I just feel like there would be a, a temptation to force it, or you know, it, you'd. It'd be hard to not force something. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You do want to take it to its natural progression, but that is a hard thing to do. I reckon. I think, like, yeah, just the the issue is more he. I think because he knows where it's gone. Like, right. I think I think the TV show, the last the last season was garbage. Totally. The last two seasons, three yeah, seasons yeah, yeah. were garbage. Yeah. But uh, I think they the, the worst part is I think they actually did what he was intending to do. Even the ending. The ending that they had, I think that's very much exactly what he was going to do as his ending. Really? Every part of it. And it makes perfect sense. And it's a really good ending. Yeah. If you build up to it properly, you- it's a great ending. Every part of it's great. Yeah, yeah. The problem is they skipped a billion steps along exactly. the way, lost all the nuance, all the details. Exactly. So it ended up being absolute trash. Yeah. But I think that's where he's going, mm. I would argue. So he knows where he's going. It's almost just he's just trying to write interesting to get there. So it's totally. like, I think with a lot of the characters, he probably knows roughly. And then there's ones which he wants to get rid of in a natural way. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Oh, I, I, actually, this could be an interesting thing. So, you you won Best Newcomer at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Nominated. So, nominated, sorry. <laughs> well, I, can't, I, even I this. can't say one because Danielle Walker won it. Yes, should that's be, right. Yeah. She'd, be, she'd be annoyed if I said, yeah, yeah, I won it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess even nominated, you had the experience of probably rising up from where you were in the whole comedy scene to something a bit higher than that. Like yeah. higher, as in like a bit more recognition stuff. Did you feel any pressure of like having yeah. to perform? Did you become Absolutely. more? Absolutely, you did. <laughs> yeah. Like, as in, did you do a show after? Yeah. I did. Have you done a show since the best? Yeah. Oh, you did. I saw it. It was great. But like, did you feel yeah, that? But it, it 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 was really hard. But but that a big part of that is just because the best newcomer show was like maybe three years of my material, but best parts of my material, and then you know, and written with a story in it and all this stuff, and then. The next one, like, it had to be all new. So, I only had one year to turn it out. And actually less than a year because by the time the festival finishes and you start thinking about the next show, you've sort of only got like eight months. So, that was, yeah, that, I think everyone struggles with that. For, yeah, like, yeah. That second show thing. The, the, yeah, the Whether I'd been nominated album. for that award or not, it was always like, it's just like hard to write another show after that first yeah, yeah. Oh, well, so I, I get that. Um, but I'm just wondering if you felt the pressure of more eyes on you. I don't of. think so. Nah, I wouldn't say that. I, th- I think it was more just like time constraints and like, nah, nah. I don't think because of the nomination. Probably pressure on myself because I really liked that show, the, the previous one. And I was like, I really want to do a show as good as that. And I think the show that I did wasn't as good as that. So, that was annoying. But not because of, I wasn't like, oh, I need to do a show that's as good because I got nominated. It was more just like for myself. And then, and then, and I could tell when I was doing it, I was like, this isn't as good as the one last year. But did you feel like that? Because, say, did you feel that it was in some ways more mature, but not as good? Yeah. I guess. Yeah, definitely. Oh, wow. <laughs> Fuck, I nailed that. <laughs> Fuck, I'm good. How did you know that? Have I told you that? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> But I mean, I can understand. It was more me, and it was more like like closer to the stuff. I don't know, like that. It sounds a bit wanky, but like finding your voice on stage or whatever. It was definitely closer to my voice, and it was more risky, I reckon, and and probably weirder than the previous show. 
but yeah, more more in tune with what I want to be, but I just didn't execute it properly. That was all. You still, I feel like I would argue that you're still happy with that though then, right? Yeah, I was happy with the growth, but uh, how do I put it? It, it like Yeah, I, no, I was definitely happy with the show, but it wasn't, if I was an audience member, a paying audience member, and I came to both shows, I would be like, the one the year before was better and funnier and made more sense. The one the next year was like more daring and stranger and stuff like that, but it didn't, it, I didn't pull it off. I like went for something. So I was proud of that for like going for a different thing, but I didn't nail it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I saw it. I saw the show. Yeah. It was yeah. a mess. No. <laughs> yeah, it didn't make any sense. <laughs> no, it was good. It was, a, no, it was I, a, like a little bit of a mess, I think. At, it, and- it was a little like, yeah, you were definitely reaching for something and maybe didn't yeah. quite hit it, but it got close. Like, and I thought it was, it was Thanks, still a fun George. time. And it, and it was definitely, I think, even that notion that people were coming, yeah, maybe like someone brand new wouldn't be as one over, but I feel like someone who'd seen you and thought it would actually, or liked you and your style would enjoy it more because they'd be Maybe, like, this is yeah. closer to this, even though, yes, it's not the best show ever. It's more what you're doing. And they, I think like that's the part where it's true. you don't want to say yourself too short either because yeah, yeah. yeah. it wasn't laughs per minute wasn't as high, but it was in a direction where it's like, this has, yeah, it's the middle one. I guess. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. That actually, I think you're right. And that makes me feel good about it. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, so the only reason I actually mentioned this as well, because it's weird to put yourself in the same category or any of us sometimes to put ourselves in the same category as someone who's as big as George R.R. Martin. Let's say someone <laughs> huge, right? But what I mean by that is like any of us artists can look at something like that. I love any of us artists. Yeah. Um, and be like, oh, I feel the weight of the pressure of the world on you. Like, because he was already big before the TV show. Like, he was already getting a lot of attention for years before that. He had all the books were on the New York Times bestsellers before the TV show came along. Yeah. So there's like, I feel like there's almost a set level of pressure that you're going to feel. But even as someone who's producing something for yourself, do you think there's an element where it's more internal? Yeah. That pressure definitely, potentially? Definitely. Yeah, I agree. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And that, and it, that probably is the. Do you reckon that's the case with him, that it's internal pressure? Kind of. Probably. It's his baby, this thing. Yeah, He's yeah. He's been working on it for so long. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, maybe maybe the, the the show and the success of that and all that stuff doesn't really matter that much to him. Maybe he's just like – but I still think either way, that pressure, whether it's internal or external, would be so overwhelming when you're creating something that's that big. It would just be – I can't even imagine it. I feel like if it happens early on – yeah, you're definitely going to be fucking in big, big trouble yeah, because yeah. you're not going to know how to handle it. You don't know who you are. But if it happens where like you've already been chugging away at this thing for years, totally. then when that fame comes along with that attention and that pressure, if it's for what you're already doing that you've already found that you do, then I guess I feel like that would be different again because yeah, it's almost yeah, like yeah. just keep doing what you're doing. Definitely, like, definitely. Yes, yeah, so if you've established those routines and that style and that voice. Yeah, I mean, and that's probably why you see the people who shoot to the top quickly – not so much in comedy, but in like music and stuff, the ones that shoot really quickly, they often fade away as well quite quickly because they haven't established, you know, whatever it is they're doing and then they get to the top and it, it's just like they're too popular for what they can actually achieve. So the stuff they start churning out because they have to churn stuff out quickly because they've got so much popularity and that stuff is kind of trash. I think that doesn't happen as much in comedy because I think – for whatever reason, the ladder in comedy is a bit more like, not the ladder, but the, I don't know, the way to like get bigger and to get more of a following is a bit 
more dependent on you actually like finding that voice and 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 writing good material and doing good comedy and blah 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 whereas i think like with music and maybe not acting but like some of these other things you can sort of rise to the top on more superficial things <laughs> you could Does that make uh, sense like you could write one good song exactly yeah, yeah yeah exactly whereas if you've got one good joke in comedy that doesn't mean shit like and in order to write an hour of good comedy you have to like learn the art form and you have to grow like it's this whole mission and it takes years so by the time you've got that good hour you are like in a better place than someone who's just written a song and the song's really catchy. Yeah, yeah. And I think even like yeah, for people if anyone who does it faster, that just means they've kind of found their voice faster and totally. it suits everyone better. So it's yeah. like they've actually learned that already. Exactly. So it's like you just keep doing what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that might be a noticeable difference actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But back to the book. This book. <laughs> we should talk about um, this. Because uh, I was I, – I, That's what I was going to ask. Is that book funny? Yeah, it's it's funny in parts. Yeah, definitely. is it intentionally? Yeah, so it's written to yeah. be funny, like that. Yeah, because the in movie moments, was yeah funny. So like yeah, the Jack Nicholson's character is funny for sure. Um, yeah, it's funny, but it's also like heartbreaking. I was thinking about talking about 1984 on this podcast, which I like for probably similar reasons to <laughs> why I like. Real cliche. It's funny that like, <laughs> is... they're the two books I was thinking of. It's like pretty obvious. Like, yeah, yeah. Why? Who are you trying to be, mate? <laughs> yeah. Stop pretending. All right? Let's find out about you. I right? hate authority. You know? I hate it. What did your dad do to you? I hate you? the system. <laughs> who was your, who yeah. put you down when you were five years old? Did someone put you down when you were five years old? Probably. I got double dacked in primary school and that really upset me. <laughs> Maybe ever since then I've been like, fuck school. Fuck work, you know we're all cogs in this system. It's bullshit. But <laughs> from being double dacked, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty brutal. <laughs> in front of like oh whole playgrounds, like, <laughs> everyone, and like it was I feel like, like that would actually turn you authoritarian if anything. <laughs> yeah, you punish true, 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 yeah, yeah. No, we went the other way. I don't know. Um, I was going to talk about 1984, but both of the, these books. 1984 and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. My criticisms for both of them is that there's um, not quite enough hope at the end. Like, I love these books so much, but they're both a bit too... Like, 1984, you know what happens at the end. I don't know if you need to say it for the listeners or whatever, but everyone knows. I feel like that book would be so cool if it was ambiguous at the end. Like, if he started writing it and then, like, didn't finish it i'm giving you a funny look right now and that's why your sentence is stumbling because yeah. i just read 1984 recently yeah as in two weeks ago yeah reread it because i've read it when i was a kid but i haven't read it since absolutely love it so good it's amazing and funnily enough which i didn't the first time i definitely doing it even this time i was going to skip past it um there's an epilogue to 1984 which oh. is hidden as a description of an uh, analysis of Newspeak. So, it's written as an appendix, which is analyzing Newspeak is how it's pitched. And that's all it is. So, it's very much boringly yeah. done. But if you read it, it's written like it was written 50 years after. And I've heard about this. It, in, and it's the, like a university course or something? No. Well, it's, it, it's almost it written like that. like that about a period in time that's in the past. Uh, and so, it actually ends- So, that's the hope. It ends with it, yeah. It ends with uh, the view that uh, it's kind of hints Someone at that. Mentioned this to me a while ago. I completely forgotten about it. But so, and it sort of it's so snuck it hints in. At, it hints at 
at some stage they did overthrow this. Yeah, it doesn't say thing. anything like that. It's literally just, but it's, but it's just, just really talking so. about new speak like it's past tense wow. of what they were trying to do and stuff. But it wow. definitely goes into anything else apart from that. But it, it, it it's written like someone in that universe talking about an analysis of new speak as if it was a former thing. Wow. I should have never doubted you, Orwell. I knew because- Oh, no, you should have doubted him. <laughs> <laughs> he is grim. The <laughs> reason the reason I like thought that about 1984 is that like, you know, obviously George Orwell was like an extremely left-wing guy, but I think there's something actually like a little bit right-wing in not presenting that hope at the end. Like I think there's, I think that- Was he an extremely presenting- left-wing? Sorry? Was he an extremely left-wing? Was candidate? he? I don't know. I'm just basing that off like Animal Farm and no, and he he was he was a socialist. I'm pretty sure you can Google that. But George Orwell was a socialist. I'm I'm pretty. I'm going to put that on the record. Yeah. Do you know that? I do know. Yeah. It, was he? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but not like. Uh, but not like a. Not a communist. Right. 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 Because Animal Farm's about Stalin. Right, right, yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't read it. That that I did do in school, Animal Farm, but <laughs> and I didn't read that. <laughs> yeah, but, but he's yeah, critical but, of Stalinism. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, so, yeah. so, so, what you're saying? What were you saying? Um, the ending. I think the ending of 1984, without that epilogue, that epilogue, that's that's cool, and I'm so glad that's in there. But I think the ending of it, where you know this guy just gets just gets beaten by this system essentially and it's like there's no hope whatsoever i think that's like in a way i don't know that like plays into the hands of authoritarianism that ending because it's 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 when people can't see any of that hope that's when we will just accept our fate and um not to get too political on this podcast but like this coronavirus thing like um i love that that's political (laughs) well it will get political but Governments around the world will use this crisis. I'm not fucking. I'm not a 5G guy. Like, obviously, this is a this is a legitimate disease, and I don't think any government started this disease. But governments will use this pandemic to increase authoritarianism. I I, I definitely believe that. I think there'll be there'll be laws that are in place because of this pandemic, and they'll be under the guise of protecting us as part of the pandemic, but those laws will continue into the future after coronavirus is done, and then the standard the standard changes, and then we all just become accustomed to, yeah, well, when you do move postcodes, you do have to, you know, if you drive into someone else's postcode, you do have to alert the authorities, and that'll just be the normal thing, and then in 30 years, we'll look back and be like, whoa, remember when you didn't have to, you know, wave to the drone when you were driving over the Westgate Bridge or whatever. Um, And I think that's like a deliberate thing that governments do. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Where was I going with this? I don't know what this has to do with 1984. Uh, the loss of hope. <laughs> yeah, the loss of hope. That um, When art doesn't have that hope and you read a book like 1984 – and it just fills you with this sense of dread and in the current world with this coronavirus thing. If I was to read 1984 for the first time now, I think I would be filled with dread and I would be more likely to be like, fuck it, let's just walk into the arms of the state and let them control us because there is no hope. Whereas if you make it an ambiguous ending or put that epilogue in, which he I found out he did do, so that's great. Then which it's no like, one's going to read apart from huge yeah, notes, well, so yeah, it's kind of useless as well. Should have made it more obvious. <laughs> should have made it ambiguous at the ending, or put more hope in there, so that you read this whole thing and it is dreadful and it's horrible and it's a warning and it's like this could happen. This could be what happens in the world if you let the state have complete control of your life, but. If you want to, the people can rise up, and they, and 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 human um, humanity is stronger than these mechanisms, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I just think it's really important to have that hope in there. Have that sense of hope. Art. Yeah. Why is that something you? When it's too bleak, you're like absolutely. Fuck this. It like it, it 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 turns me off. And one flew over the cuckoo's nest does have some hope at the end, which is really important. Uh, it does. Think so, yeah. I think the. I love you read this so long ago, and you're uh, maybe not in the film, but because I think in the book it's the chief. Ah, because it's from the, the chief. I think maybe it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So even so, though the, one person gets crushed, someone yeah, else has. Yeah, Jack Nicholson's story is really sad, but but the chief um has the hope, and I just think you need that because yeah, I, it can't be all too doom and gloom. I think it's um I think it's like dangerous if 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 everyone's just reading art that is political like this book's so political and 1984 is so political if you're going to write a really political book you should have hope at the end of it i reckon i'm not telling these guys how to do their job or anything <laughs> but listen george all right buddy i was a writer that's maybe what fix I up your <laughs> yeah i wrote this show that i was gonna do this year um before the pandemic was like sort of about growing up and 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 there was a lot of political stuff in there and i originally wrote it and it didn't have any hope and i realized that and i was like oh fuck i have to change it and i completely amended the ending because i was like well yeah it'd be bad if i wasn't practicing what i preach with the whole hope thing so i put some hope in there i just think it's an important thing yeah i mean i think uh it's i'm gonna take the most cop out response to this but almost like i think it, it's more of a case-by-case -case basis as well um because i would probably put forward that both firstly it sounds like both one flu and 1984 have that tiny little seed yeah there. they do but i feel like if you want to give someone a warning about something it's in this one thing yes it shouldn't all be miserable but maybe sometimes the power of it is stronger if you almost yeah, if it's mostly yeah. bleak i guess but I, then in my head i'm point. straight away thinking like but climate fuck. change um stuff where it's like 
where it's like there's nothing exactly. you can do. Exactly. Like, I think that's probably the best example. That's where, a great example. Yeah, yeah, where you need some sort of mm. boot up. The, yeah, if it's like literally if, give up. If it all feels <laughs> futile, then we won't do anything to yeah. change it. Well, why would we? And One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and 1984, like they have enough dread in them you know like just put a bit more hope in at the end like they're they're so brutally sad in so many ways um but yeah they do they do they have that flicker of hope and and i think i think any more than that would be misleading and and actually take away from the power of the story like basically the you're gonna get crushed but there's hope somewhere yeah yeah that this can change because this story isn't about the winners this is about the losers who tried definitely there are some people somewhere that there's something but he could have made that epilogue a bit less of like a (laughs) code (laughs) like how upset you are yeah no he i love him because he's i didn't appreciate because i read uh 1984 when i was a kid basically i was like 13 or 14 way too young to read 1984 it messed with my head but uh i didn't appreciate at that time how how terse and crisp and sharp his language is so i only realized that now with the second reading how like how the writing's actually very he was a journalist for years so he's got just a really good clean yeah. writing style which is something i just wouldn't have appreciated at all when i was younger yeah. but he was he's interesting because he hated he was obsessed with stalin and stalinism and communism like that so even though he was a socialist in terms of a lot of his pushes it was very much like bernie socialism it wasn't totally. extreme socialism it yeah, was yeah, more yeah, like yeah, let's yeah. tax everyone a bit and you know definitely have welfare and stuff like that definitely um from my understanding i haven't read all his works but that seems to yeah. be kind of where he was at fear of more of authoritarianism in any of its forms. Totally, totally. I read an article that he wrote. Um, he wrote it like a week after Hiroshima. It was like this piece that was, we now live in a world with nuclear bombs. And it was like, it was sort of like 1984, but like a mini version of like what could happen with nuclear arms. And like, it was, he, he you know, in 1984, he nailed some things that are happening now. And it was similar with this like nuclear bomb. Thing. And it, it, uh, it's just, yeah, I think he's really clever. He was really clever. Yeah, no, he, he's great. Great writer. Love him, yeah. Great yeah. writer and super – and like the stuff – I think the psychological stuff is actually where I'm the most impressed with what yeah. he predicted. Like double think and stuff like that. And, oh. and you, like so much of that is just so true. It's amazing, <laughs> it exists isn't right it? now it's everywhere. It's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. So with with all of us to a degree, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a big fear of authoritarianism. So like I actually yeah, – I'm wondering how much – It's big thing, I reckon. It's your big thing. Yeah. You've decided. Yeah. <laughs> i got nothing else going on, mate. I'm a white straight guy, all right? Yeah. I had an all right had childhood. Yeah. Are your parents divorced? <laughs> no. Oh, shit. you got nothing going on. Oh, mate. Not. Everyone's alive I that you – No trauma. No trauma, nothing. On. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty scared that the state's going to take over all my liberties. So You're so original, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is it's, It is pretty in vogue right now, isn't it? Like anti-authoritarianism. Well, that's, that's actually where I... But I would even say your fears about what... When you say the corona is going to result in more government surveillance and that stuff, that authoritarian stuff, definitely true. Uh, but I also think there could be a, a glimmer of hope in there as well because it's also going to remind people that, oh, no, you do need a combined response to stuff. Like, you do need That's social true. policies. You do need, That's true. like, unity. And if you leave it up to corporate interests and market-based mechanisms, it will fall apart because it's not out to help you. So, it's yeah. like, I think that push could be potentially... Definitely. A good, and, and a community thing. Everyone's going to be like more... Everyone's united now for the first time ever completely in sharing the same experience. So, totally, like that is... Totally. Who knows what kind of long-term stuff 
Look at you incorporating the hope into this conversation after Look, I've made all these points about how important the hope is. I think that's such a good point. Yeah. That, well, yeah. Like, I think that's a, I mean, it doesn't mean to kick back, but uh, I think there's that, that element to it, which totally. yeah, you can fall into. Because even yeah. like when you talk about uh, authoritarianism or in your head, what do you really mean? Do you just mean controllers in telling you what to do? Yeah. Not letting you do other things? Yeah. Surveillance. Like the, you know, Foucault used to say that, um, the worst thing about surveillance or the, the main mechanism of surveillance, you know, because everyone says, I don't really care if I'm getting surveilled, if, if advertising companies are doing it or if the government's doing it, national security, I don't mind. Like, I'm not a pedophile. I'm not looking at child porn. I'm not a terrorist. I got nothing to hide. That's all good. But when people are surveilled over an extended period of time, their behavior changes. And in that way, surveillance is a form of control. It's not just control. It's not just, it's not just like we're watching you. And if you do something wrong, we will be able to catch you. You're making our behavior like malleable. You're, you're, cha- you're changing the way we act as humans because we know that we're under your watch. And I think that is so bad. <laughs> do you reckon that's, that's just, true? I th- Did he yeah, have proof of that? So. Nah, just a general feeling. <laughs> But Foucault was pretty smart, you know him. He was like pretty <laughs> onto a lot of stuff. Now nah, he did. He did. So there's a book about it. Um, it's called Crime and No. That's <laughs> Foucault had a book about crime and punishment. It wasn't called Crime <laughs> and Punishment, but he had a book about it. And the the premise is there was a prison um in America with the, you know the yeah concept? the Panopticon the Panopticon. So and so that that's I mean that's Basically where he one, based one guard room in the middle and then all the rooms you could see around circled around it with exactly. an opening to the guard room that was sitting in the middle. So the idea is that all the prisoners will act correctly because yep. they don't know when or if they're being watched. Yeah, there could be a guard watching them at any point, but they don't know. And so then they they constantly have to act in a certain way. And I think that why wouldn't that extend into a larger sense with drones flying around and with them listening on your phone? Like, I honestly have had times in my life where I'm like, oh, I don't know if I should have said that when I've got my phone in my pocket. And that's oh, a bit what? fucked up. <laughs> Mate, forget that. As if you've worried about that. Okay, now you're starting to sound more tinfoil out. Is that is that <laughs> How many bad? bongs did you smoke today, bro? <laughs> But like I mean, what? It's it's like bring down the government. I'm holding my phone in my head. Screw the government. Not not in a genuine. I'm not like actually not going to say those things. Mm. But you've been aware. You've been conscious. I have a little flicker. A little flicker of oh, my phone's in my pocket. That's all it is. I'm not like I'm not like oh shit. Like let's stop talking about it. But just a little flicker. And I'm not saying that's the end of the world. But these things grow, you know. And it'll you know in 30 years maybe everyone will be more conscious of what they say. And then you start people start having less revolutionary conversations or less radical conversations just because it's a gradual thing it's not going to happen overnight it's not like i'm all of a sudden like oh i can't talk about the government or whatever but these these things just trickle in they're so gradual and yeah surveillance is a big part of it i reckon yeah so so like because it's interesting you're saying this from the point of view of government surveillance direct Surveillance, right? Uh, but then there's the other side, which I would actually argue is possibly just as strong. Uh, it's a whole different direction. And I, this has got such a bad connotation now, this kind of stuff. But basically the concept, and I, I'm not saying it, like I'm going to put in all the caveats about this as I say it, <laughs> but the concept of cancel culture, yeah. um, which it, it definitely gets overblown and gets overused by people in positions of power to justify their 
it's like when people uh-huh. say, oh, free speech, when I say stuff, not free speech, whenever yeah, yeah, anyone yeah. else says stuff. So yeah. I definitely get all that. Yeah. But the concept that even uh, the social norms, which then reflect, we don't talk about that stuff. And I feel like that's almost as strong and that's yeah, I, kind of a completely different direction. I 100% um, agree. For, for not almost as strong as in, definitely the government's more clearly strong, but I mean, more in terms of shaping how we talk and say things and think things, I feel like that social pressure is kind of in some ways potentially stronger than the yeah. government side of things you yeah know what i mean i agree with that and i also think um to take that like in a slightly different angle i think that like part of the cancel culture um is and this is like uh yeah like you i want to put all the caveats on this um say for example with the black lives matter movement um like you know and i'm a white guy and i don't know and i like growing up i never had to you know watch anything on netflix that was racist to my people in the slightest way so i don't know how that would feel and i think I that that, that's <laughs> yeah that's their problem <laughs> <laughs> i think i think i never had to watch something on netflix <laughs> that cast me in a bad light but i think you know but this you're going to be I'm really going. shocked when you this hear is where the, i'm going yeah, okay. this is where i'm going I think that sometimes with movements like that one, um, like then, so I think the movement was so powerful, is so powerful, is so incredible and can push so many things. And it's just like one of the most inspiring things I've seen in my lifetime, I reckon. All the rallies that have been going on all around the world. Yeah, I love it. I find it so incredible. I think sometimes movements like that, then it becomes like, okay, as a result of this movement, let's take all the blackface off Netflix, which I think is probably, I don't know, I think blackface shouldn't be on Netflix. Like, you know, it's that's not deleting the existence of that art. I think, yeah, that's a good idea to take it off Netflix. But I just worry that sometimes the cancel culture, the cancelling of certain things becomes like, it's sort of that that co-ops the movement. So the movement is about actually changing these massive things in society and like, you know, and it's about black people dying and like, yeah. they shouldn't be dying and these huge systematic racist problems. And then like, say, for example, like in America, like the Democrats are already like sort of inside the Black Lives Matter movement. And a lot of them are, you know, I would say like quite right wing. And they're, and then it's like the, the conversation shifts to like, uh, you know, but the stuff got taken off Netflix and it, I I worry that it can take the wind out of the sails of the movement. But anyway, that's just like a little thought I had the other day. I'm not no, sure I hundred percent agree. True. No, I I I I just did a, another podcast, this Tea with Alice, where I went into this basically quite aggressively. And probably I didn't put I'm thinking back on it now and I'm like, I didn't put enough caveats what about what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see what happens when it comes out. Yeah. Um my view's almost like, nah, leave leave those things there. Leave those positions there. You know what? Every time someone watches it, you got to pay a dollar to uh, like yeah. labor u- movement, uh, uh, actual anti-defamation like league. Yeah. Like, these are fake things to actually distract from the real exactly. change. And you could be yeah. like, oh, but they can both happen at the same time. Yeah, that's true. But my only issue is like whether that is the only thing that happens, then that's worse than it not happening almost. So, but that, that's, uh, but well, that's you complicated. You totally agree with me then. I was worried that my opinion was going to be controversial there, but you agree. That's, yeah. The concern is valid, but obviously, again, yeah, we're sitting here. And this is why I'm very, I did not put enough caveats into this last one. <laughs> I'm trying to look at this attitude of, try to see more reasons why they maybe uh-huh. you have this anarchist attitude. Maybe, <laughs> see, honestly, like, as in, were, were you like an outsider at school? Were you friends with everyone? Was it chill? Uh, 
no, I was friends with everyone, but I did feel like an outsider sometimes in like, I mean, this is probably quite common though. Like I was in, I remember in primary school, I would just often have moments of being like feeling like I was the only one that felt a certain way or thought certain things. Not like, no, I'm not talking about like, I wasn't like, um, you know, kids weren't looking at me differently, but isn't that just like, a, I don't know, isn't that just like a part of growing up? You sort of like, even if you have friends, you have moments where you're like, this world is a bit funny, you know? Sometimes you just feel a bit alone. I wouldn't say there was any like big, um, I had friends and everything. Yeah. But I would just have times where you're sitting around with all your friends at school and I'd be like, no one really understands what's going on in my head that much. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, uh, did you think that was true looking back now? Yeah, in a certain sense. I guess you're just not like that open or I wasn't that open with my friends or with a lot of my friends about things. I don't know. That's getting a bit deep now. But like I'm still good friends with lots of these people and like and I would be more open with them now. But you know when you're like 16 and you have a day where you feel a bit funny and you feel a bit like um, melancholic and you go to school and your friends are like, you know, throwing oranges at one of the classrooms or something for a laugh. You're not going to be like, by the way, guys, like I've been feeling a bit down today. <laughs> like, I don't really know. I can't put my finger on what's upsetting me. Like there's nothing specific that's happened that's bad in my life, but I just feel a bit like low today. Like, you really know, he's a hug, fellas. Like, yeah. And maybe every kid is dealing with that in their own certain way. But I definitely felt like for me, I definitely had like lots of, um, just like thoughts and things in my head that I didn't bring up with anyone. So in that sense, I felt alone, but I don't think I felt particularly more alone than anyone else. I think that's quite, I think that's quite universal to feel that. I'm not sure, but yeah, no, I think I, I I would agree. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. Um, I mean, actually, you're probably ahead of a lot of people because, like, a lot of them probably don't even know they felt bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I think I'm going with something. I'm that's, like, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that's spot on. Yeah. Did you, uh, like, were you pretty? So it sounds like, yeah, that, that genuinely sounds like something which is pretty, like, s- nice on your part. Like the fact that you were aware that you were feeling like this, I even think, if you couldn't say yeah, it in that I way. I think I've always been very sensitive of my own emotions. Yeah, is that? Did you <laughs> have parents that, that kind of sure. helped with that sort of stuff? They must have. I like. I. I. I can't think. Like, I can't remember any conversations where they were like, you know, you should always, you know, think about your, like, I can't remember it being clear cut like that, but they must have just subconsciously or consciously throughout my childhood, like, raised me in a way where I was constantly thinking about my emotions. And and I had two, two older sisters. I think they probably helped. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> two older sisters. Yeah. All right. So, how many siblings you got? I've got two sisters, one brother. Is the brother older or younger? Older. Yeah. I oh, see so the youngest younger. as well. I'm the baby. Oh, mate, this is making more and more sense too. <laughs> so, is that, yeah, is that why do you think? I reckon, uh, what do you like? How old, much older were your sisters? What was the age range from you? My one brother year, and year. my sister were like three and four years older than me. And yeah. then my other sister was like six years older than me. I oh, see so you were. You were there's a little bit of a gap between you and them. Yeah. There's about like, yeah. I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think sibling I, sibling dynamics is fascinating, what impact that has. Yeah. I've never really even thought about it, but I suppose it, it would it would change you so much. Your siblings and You grew up stuff. in a house where there was crying and stuff. <laughs> yeah, true. True. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and because they're the eldest, probably it was the 
confident crying. Yeah, <laughs> like totally, it, wasn't, totally. it wasn't a shader. It was totally. like they were the strongest as well. And yeah, so they're yeah. like, yeah. Totally. <laughs> and I think actually now that I think about it, like I think all my siblings taught me so much like in my younger years, like even just like, like I don't think they let me get away with any sort of shit, you know? They like, like if I'd call one of them a bitch, that was like, not fucking on you know like really hardcore like my oldest sister sarah she was very like like you don't ever fucking say that word to a woman ever. oh really yeah that sort of shit that's great you call a woman a dickhead you call a woman a fuckhead you do any of that that's fine don't call her a bitch that sort of stuff and i think my mum was like that as well that would definitely help i think yeah shaping that, that was, kind of that view was a good thing for sure yeah. Uh, no, it's interesting as an impact because, like, uh, would they fall into the field of? Uh, are they wild anarchists trying to tear down the system as well? Big time. Are they? Are? <laughs> no, no, nah, not my middle sister, um, and not my brother so much. But they're all, you know, they've all got similar ideals to me. But then my oldest sister is big time. Yeah. Big time. Big the big one who time. also taught you not to say bitch. Yeah. She's also seems to have taught you to bring down the government. Totally. totally. <laughs> I think I got there on my own and we do differ a lot in certain things and we argue a lot. I think I got there on my own, but no doubt she was a massive and still is a massive influence on my uh, worldview. At least, yeah, in terms of offering that as a idea and view. Definitely, and stuff that you yeah, could... yeah. Okay, yeah, because yeah. six years is, is a decent amount of time mm-hmm. to be older as well. To imp- I'm imparting that knowledge to you. Yeah. Huh. Is, does she like One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest? <laughs> I actually have never discussed that with her, but she we've talked about 1984 a lot. Okay. Um, but <laughs> this is hilarious. <laughs> I've never discussed One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I, I haven't discussed it with many people, and I'm actually starting to think maybe of our generation, not that many people have read it because of the film and because people just, like you, think that it's like a great film and, and sort of don't realize that it's a book. Is that because I, 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 I don't know I, that many people that I've talked to it. It's pretty obscure. It. It's not a very well-known. Right. Well, uh, not obscure. Uh, again, I'm sure there's a million, millions of people of that course, have read it. But I mean, course. in terms of the cultural discussion, it doesn't really come up, as far as I'm aware, that yeah. much as, as a book. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Which that's, is interesting because, like, you should read it. It's, like, it's brilliant. It's and, like, and it's well-written as well. Like, it's so well-written. I'll give you this copy if you want. I could probably do that. It's, yeah. like, beautifully written. And, yeah, it's and it's funny and it's and it's dense. And the themes are so dense, probably dent- a lot denser than the film, I would say. Like all the racism stuff and everything. Like there's just, yeah, there's a lot in there. Yeah. I mean, like the film was actually interesting because I had heard about it for years and years. And I always thought it was a, while it would be funny, it would be a drama, like serious as well. But I, uh, then I watched it and I was like, oh man, this is, this really is a full funny. wacky comedy. Like yeah, as in, this yeah. is not a good look at uh, mental health in a lot of ways yeah. because it's just, it's treating it like a full joke. Everyone in it is like right. just a little wacky character who's, like it's very much a comedy of the seventies, whatever, and it's but it's still got intense stuff in it. But it's weird how all the mental health is treated almost like the only problem here is the authoritarian issue, totally, other, yeah. other, instead of the health issues that are mental health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how that's actually a serious thing that does require structure and yeah. does require medicine. And you know these. I would say the book is more like does deal with those issues as well, because that is the other side to authoritarianism. You know that it can be helpful to a degree. Yeah, sure. Like I think, I think, you know, I think there's there's hospitals where people are hospitalized and they're great places for them, and they and they need to be there. You know, hopefully temporarily, 
hopefully they get out sometime, but they're great places. But the there's a lot of places like the one in this, I reckon, where it's just like it it is it is overly authoritarian for whatever reasons, and I think that's bad. And I think that yeah, I don't know, I don't know enough about it, but that shock therapy stuff just doesn't sit that's crazy. sit right with me. Yeah, that's and that's crazy. still done. That's still practiced in Australia. In Australia, yeah, really, yeah, big time. What? Yeah. Wow. That's messed up. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think it's messed up. I, I actually, so uh, this just made me think of this. So, uh, as a anarchist who loves one for the cuckoo's nest <laughs> yeah. and wants people to fight against what's going on, yep. do are you active in that stuff? In politics, at least like protests and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm becoming more active as I get older. Um, but I've always gone to lots of protests, and I think that's a massively important thing. I'm in my union. <laughs> But I, I, I feel like sometimes it's a bit, um, um, maybe this sounds like a cop out, but sometimes it feels a bit hard to know exactly, um, how to make a difference in the world. Um, but yeah, I go to as many protests as I can about the things that I care about and I sign all the petitions and I'm in my union. Um, I'd like to be more active than that though, to be honest, but I want to write comedy that, um, inspires people to feel things or to like get on similar tracks yeah to, to try to bring down the system <laughs> i don't know what i want really i don't know i don't even know if i you know whatever i haven't figured out my like ideal yet of do you know what i mean like i don't like the system that we live under currently but i don't know if i subscribe to any of the other proposed ones like socialism or, you know, Marxism or anything like that. I don't, I don't think that they would necessarily work either. So I'm still trying to figure that out. So it's kind of hard to be passionate, like really passionate and like tell people like this needs to change. And then they're like, well, what should replace it? What and you're like, have? I don't fucking know. <laughs> I'm 25. I don't know. <laughs> like, don't ask me. <laughs> But clearly, this is the wrong one. Like, it, like clearly, this isn't working, or it needs it needs radical reform because otherwise, the planet is gonna die. Like, we all know that. Yeah. Like, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I can't. I can't tell you how to um, create a new world order or whatever. So I don't you, know that much about it. I'm only, okay, so you're basically relating to this book because you're seeing a guy tear down a system and show what's wrong with it, but doesn't actually actually do anything. <laughs> I mean, it's so easy when the enemy's just I mean, <laughs> clear cut and it's just tear I mean, it down. it's a bit different because in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, he's not it, it it's not about rebuilding a new hospital where it's all better and that it's not that's the focal point is give these people hope. The people inside these walls who have had it so shit for so long because the way these nurses are treating them and he just comes in there and he's just like, "Fuck this. Like we've all got autonomy. Like we should have autonomy and like it's not about what comes after that. It's not about like is that's you know, too complicated. Is there? Yeah. Well, it's a short book. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just pointing it out. Okay. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, I mean, I I think it's obvious that like what comes after that should be like more compassionate hospitals where they don't they don't control the the patients as though they're yeah. Like, well, 
How's that going to work? Where, <laughs> how much are they going to charge it. per needle? I'm Who are they going to supply this stuff it. from? Who's the, what, what tax are they going to pay? All right, you're really easy with the first part, you know isn't it? it would all work. Just you stick your finger it, up at it, the, it the guy work. who dacked you and leave it, it at all work. And like, it's, I, I just think the, the problem with the world we live in at the moment is that we're so deeply embedded in it that no one can see an alternative. But I think it doesn't even have to be that much of a radical idea to think of a world where um, where people have a lot more even shares of things like money and resources and where like animals are sort of like protected and the Amazon isn't on fire because we don't need that much money or like people don't need that much. I don't think it's actually that hard to think of a world where the priority is human satisfaction and human happiness as opposed to greed. Like, I mean, the argument is that uh, that's what we're trying to do, except, you know, it's in, in, inefficient in how it's getting done, maybe, and it just needs some tweaking too. I don't think so. I don't think that the way, I don't think that like capitalism and like, especially in the last 30 years since like neoliberalism and stuff have risen, I don't think that, uh, that this system is geared towards, um, happiness for, for all humans or uh, peace for all humans. I think it's deliberately structured in a way that, you know, it's always going to be the the kids in Bangladesh or Africa or whatever that are making our shoes. Like, it's ne- that's, that's, that's the way it was set up originally and that's the way it will continue. Like, it's, it's not like, oh, we've just, we've just, like, the system, we've, we're, fuck, we're not doing it quite right. That's why all these people don't have as many rights as all these people. It's like, nah, this is how it's set up. And it's getting worse because people are at the top are just getting greedier and greedier. And the way for them to get more money is to exploit people more and more. And they, and they won't stop doing that. Well, they've proved they won't stop doing that. It's getting, I think you can only, I think it's clear that it's getting worse, inequality. It's yeah, and, I mean that's pretty and, measurable. And that's not a mistake of the system. That's not like, oh shit, it's not working quite right. It's it's I think it's that's that's its destiny. That's the path it goes down unless yeah. you change it radically. I, so just quickly two things. One I would say is uh I think the issue with the system as it's structured is that it leads towards a bad place rather than the system itself. But because those two things might be so intertwined, that's the issue. So I actually don't mind a lot of the capitalist stuff, especially as an ex-banker, I get a lot of the stuff of why it's good. Yeah. But I think what it always inevitably ends up as is the problem, which is where we're at now. So the tweaking that is needed might be just impossible. So it might just be unrealistic for me to say that I think actually capitalism works uh, just with the right taxation policy, the right social welfare and all that stuff. But maybe that's just totally. impossible and then because of how the system's structured. And just like to play devil's advocate of myself, you could also say that about socialism. Hey, it's like it, it, it might be like, it might work in some context, but eventually it will become this other thing. And that's that, that, exactly that's, that's what makes it almost argument. Yeah. That's what makes it so difficult to kind of. That's why for me it's almost to be like ah oh, no, uh, you know, progressive taxation policies, good social welfare platforms, um, not letting the accumulation of wealth to be too focused on a small group. Those kind of things are almost more real than yeah, tear yeah, down the yeah. system in some way. Yeah. But maybe that's part of the problem. If you say tear down the system, at least maybe you meet halfway and tax the rich slightly totally, more. Totally. <laughs> yeah. The other part, which just quick, and we're going way over now, but you know it's quarantine. Maybe people will be cool with it. <laughs> yeah. uh, just quickly, 
it sounds like while, yeah, you're saying your focus is on the authoritarian regimes and stuff like that, it almost seems like what you're more interested in is that sense of hope. Yeah, I think so. Even yeah. with these books. So, I don't know whether, I don't know if there's another example of that beyond taking down the <laughs> dictatorship, but like that sense of you want that hope Definitely. in what you feel. You don't want things to be so bleak. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. In any situation. So, yeah. maybe even in a situation of health where someone's sick and you watch a movie and you're like, why is it? Why doesn't show some of the good stuff? Is that something totally, you feel totally. like maybe you've got inside yeah, you? I think, yeah, I think I'm pretty big on that. I used to go through a phase of like watching really trashy um, like films because I knew that they would end happily, you know? <laughs> like, just to fucking, all right, like there's some good out there. It's all good. Like really, you know those ones that like follow a specific template? <laughs> but um, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, like yeah, I think that's the most important thing in in everything is the hope and um like that I don't think anyone feels good about the fact that like what am I wearing at the moment? Birkenstocks. I don't know. I'm not sure about Birkenstocks, but probably I would just guess. I don't know, and I'm not I'm not going on the record with this, but probably someone was exploited for me to wear these shoes. And I don't think anyone feels good about that. I think there's this constant, like we're in this malaise of like, oh, the world is not quite right for most people. And it's a shit feeling. And uh, like I can actually visualize a world where no one feels like that because it is fair. And I like, I think it's, I think it's fucking achievable. You which- might be more positive the human experience than I am in some ways, but I like your hope. That's yeah. a nice. Uh, you're optimistic. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I've got to tie this off. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry for ranting. So that's much. all right. You've you got nothing else going on in your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else is fine. <laughs> this is all I got. This and watching just uh, more Disney movies. Yeah. <laughs> so I always finish every show asking this question. Uh, thank you very much for being on. Uh, do you feel like you have any fresh insight into the book One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest after this conversation? Yeah. I, I, I realized when I was talking about it that there is um, probably more hope in it than like even I'm thinking about it now. There's like sad things throughout, but there's a lot of funny moments, like you said, and a lot of hope throughout and then the ending is like heartbreaking but there is hope at the end as well and yeah yeah that's probably the main thing oh that's good i'm glad i made you enjoy it like it a bit more (laughs) and also the revelation about 1984 with the epilogue that's massive (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah, it's it's, it's so boringly written it's only only someone who would would have read the lord of the rings appendices would have read that (laughs) shit so um okay so yeah well thank you very much for being on Lewis. you've been a very fun guest thanks so much for having me that was like really enjoyable no worries cheers Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to SansPantsPlus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's SansPantsPlus.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.